Thanks for listening to the City Church Podcast. This sermon is part of our series entitled Glorious Perspective, where we will see how the Sermon on the Mount outlines God's plan for a life of joy. For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Roger. I'm one of the elders here at City Church. And uh, if this is your first Sunday, Justin Kendrick usually brings the message. And he's such a gifted communicator. I wanted to pull in Jesus to do my scripture reading. I needed a ringer this morning. So um, let's pray and let's uh, see what God has to teach us today. Father, thank you for your word, infallible, true Lord, we come today wanting to live more like Jesus. Teach us, Lord. Pray for our hearts to be open to what you have for each one of us, that we can go out and represent you in a more accurate reflection of Jesus this week to change this country, our city, the world. We thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, I was eating at a salad bar. We lived in Joplin, Missouri at the time. And as we were eating, this girl came out with a five-gallon bucket of Thousand Island dressing. She comes out of the kitchen to fill the salad bar, but she catches her heel, and she launches the container out of her hand. And as the container hits the floor, it spills up into a huge fountain of Thousand Island dressing all over the man that was standing there. He's got Thousand Island dressing dripping from the top of his head to the bottom of his shoes. It's dripping off of his forehead, off of his chin, on the lapel of his suit, all over his tie, over his pants, his shoes. He was a mess. And he went ballistic. He starts to call this poor girl every name a football coach ever called me growing up. And he says, I cannot believe how stupid you are. Look at this. It's a brand new suit, $350 suit. You've completely ruined it. And she's trying to apologize to him. She's trying to clean up. And he just says, get away from me. You've already done enough damage. And then his wife begins to chime in. I mean, it was awful. Everybody in the restaurant is watching this happen. The guy asks to see the manager. The manager comes out, offers to clean his suit. But the man demands a new suit. He says, you must buy me a new suit. This is brand new. They disappear into the back. I assume that there was a transaction. The manager wrote a check. And justice was served. Now the interesting part of this story for me is this happened on a Sunday afternoon, lunchtime. Now why in the world would a guy be wearing a suit on a Sunday afternoon? Remember, this is in the South. Oh, I don't know, he probably just got out of church and heard a wonderful message about loving your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) If you talk to people who work in the food business, they will tell you that some of the worst people to serve are those coming out of church on a Sunday. And that is tragic because, friends, we're called to be different. That's what this sermon series has really been all about. It's been called Glorious Perspective. Having such a shift in our perspective that we live lives that are different. We're called to be different in restaurants. We're called to be different at the ball field, in the classroom, at work, wherever you find yourself. This very first sermon that Jesus ever preached, he said some radical, countercultural things about being different. And how being different really is where true satisfaction lies. It's where happiness is, fulfillment. These beatitudes we've been looking at for the last eight weeks, blessed, happy, 
are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, right up the line. And like these boxes, we've been finding that one builds right on top of the other. If you're going to live this kind of countercultural life, if you're going to walk closely with God, if you really want to be happy, you have to understand these Beatitudes. Now this week it's the eighth Beatitude, way up here on the top, Matthew 5.10, the verses that Jesus read for us, I mean the guy on the video read for us earlier. That verse says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted. He's saying happy are the harassed. Really, Jesus? Really. When you're on top, people want to knock you down. Sometimes when people see Christ in you, they really don't know how to handle you. Now, I'm sure I don't need to say a lot to convince you what a relevant beatitude this is globally, that persecution is real. Already in your mind, if you stop and just think, you've already thought of the words ISIS or Boko Haram, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, Jihadi John. Or you're thinking of places like Iraq and Syria, Afghanistan, Nigeria, North Korea, China, on and on. You know persecution around the globe is very real today. The International Society of Human Rights, this is a secular organization, not a Christian organization. They just recently put out a report that 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today are directed against Christians. That's a secular organization acknowledging that Christians are the most persecuted group on the planet. And for the 2,000 year history of the church, followers of Christ have been persecuted. I think what people are often surprised to hear is that half of all Christians who ever died for their faith did so in the last 100 years. This past year, 100 million followers of Christ lived in countries where they lived under the threat of persecution, arrest, imprisonment, torture, even death, simply because they're followers of Jesus. The most current estimate in North Korea is there's probably about 70,000 Christians in prison right now, suffering in prison. Another example of what we've seen happen in the last 10 years, there used to be 1.3 million Christians in Iraq. That's about the time when the first Gulf War broke out. Today, there's estimated to be less than 50,000 Christians left in Iraq. Either they've fled or they've been killed. Now, the problem with statistics and information like this, even watching the news, is it's out there somewhere. It seems distant, it seems remote, unconnected to our daily lives. But do you realize these are your brothers and your sisters? Being so far away, out there, it can almost seem fictional. Because of what my wife and I do in Global Missions, these stories in the news are deeply personal to us. And in the next few minutes, I want to make them a little more personal to you. I want to introduce you to some of your family. We can bring up the first picture here. This is Kenneth and Lydia Bay. That's Deb and I with them. Uh, this is in Northeast China. Um, right up against the North Korean border. Uh, a few months after that picture was taken, Kenneth was arrested inside of North Korea, uh, and his crime, he was praying for people to meet Jesus, but the government accused him of trying to overthrow the government. This is Kenneth in prison. Um, he was held in a hard, uh, hard labor camp 
Most people don't survive that. He was sentenced to 15 years there. By God's grace, he was released. You may have seen this on national news, released just a few months ago. The next picture is uh, in an Islamic country in North Africa that Deb and I were in to visit a team. And that included in the next picture, this couple sitting on the left. This is Chris and Jackie, Deb there in the foreground on the right-hand side. Again, we're in Muslim North Africa. Uh, a couple months later, we found ourselves in another part of Africa. I was in a coffee shop reading the newspaper. And I was reading through an article. It was about someone who had been killed. And suddenly I was jolted out of my chair because I read that Chris had been drug out of his business onto the street. Al-Qaeda killed him right in front of his business. His wife, Chris and his wife, both loved the people of this country. She wrote a letter, letter of forgiveness that appeared in the national newspaper there a few months later. She is praying about and hoping to go back to continue their work. Next picture, this is me, my friend Daniel, uh, who serves in Afghanistan. This is us in northern Afghanistan. Uh, I was able to go and see a work project. They were building a school in northern Afghanistan, drove way up in the mountains to see this. And the next picture is his friend, that's Daniel Albano. I rode in the front seat with Albano. Went up into the mountains, looked at this beautiful project, school they were building. Most of the people there were very happy about it, um, but not everyone. Uh, in the next picture, the week after I was there, they were shot on the same road. Uh, two of them survived. The head, headmaster, the gentleman that was to be the headmaster, uh, was actually killed in the back seat. Guys, these are members of your family. It really, even though it's out there and remote, it should be personal to all of us. So what can you do? I mean, long ways from here, but what are the practical pieces of what you can do? Well, you can do a couple things. Continue to learn more about what's really happening. Don't just depend on the news. Find out about Christians around the world, what's going on, and then pray for them. Pray for them, their families, those who have lost people, those that are standing in the face of this every day. And you can give to organizations. Give to organizations that are trying to help. And if God ever lays it on your heart, you should go. Now we see things like this. We talk about the global scene. And I know some of you already are saying, Roger, I, okay, I get that. But I live here in New Haven, Connecticut. I'm in the good old US of A. This doesn't seem that relevant to me. Right here, right now, where I stand, is this even relevant to me, this idea of persecution? When the verse that follows this eighth beatitude, Jesus expands our understanding of persecution. In verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus clarifies that persecution also comes in the form of insult, of, of accusation, false, evil accusation. It happens when your boss pressures you to do something you know is unethical or dishonest and you don't want to do it, but there's a pressure there to conform. It happens when you're standing around the water cooler at work and people are telling dirty jokes and you know you shouldn't be there, but, but there's this pressure to stay and to smile and smirk and not walk away. There's the pressure. It comes when your family ridicules you for being a Christian or friends say, you're taking this Christian thing a little bit too serious. Happens at colleges and universities where professors are teaching scripture is just another form of literature. It's certainly not truth. It's, it's not the word of God. And you're belittled for believing it is God-breathed. It is the very word of God. You battle this when people are praising moral choices today that the Bible is very clear that they're wrong. 
and you feel this pressure to, to remain silent. You see it in the courts today. Companies like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A that are being challenged because of their Christian beliefs. We see the IRS targeting faith-based groups. State governments, we lived in Hawaii, state government of Hawaii, uh, outlawed churches meeting in schools. They said it's a, it's a conflict with the separation of church and state. So globally and locally, this is very relevant. Blessed are the persecuted. Now I want to take a moment for us to consider the why. Why are we persecuted? If I'm living this kind of life, if I'm trying to live like Jesus, why will all that bring about the top box? I want to read a verse from 2 Timothy 3.12. I think it kind of sums it up. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say some. It says everyone. The Apostle Paul penned these words, and, and he was convinced that there's such a tension between the message and way of life of a Christian on the one hand and the mindset and the way of life of the world on the other that conflict is inevitable. It's explosive. Now remember through this entire series, we've said that these Beatitudes build upon each other, just like these boxes are stacked over here. To really understand this one today, the eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted. I think we need to quickly review the others so if you've been gone, you have an understanding of what we're trying to say. Seven weeks ago, we started with the bottom one, blessed are the poor in spirit. The spiritually bankrupt, Jesus is saying. How's that for starters? Jesus begins by saying, you want to be happy, you want to be fulfilled, you need to become poor in spirit. Jesus is saying, happy are you, blessed are you, when you discover you're spiritually busted. When you become aware of your hopelessness, that you're utterly dependent upon God. Suddenly you look at God like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 when he encountered God and he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm spiritually bankrupt. You'll never ever be happy in life till you recognize that you're spiritually busted and you need God in your life. The next one, blessed are those who mourn. Really? Happy are those who are sad? We looked at that one. No, that's not what he's saying. Remember, these build on each other. Jesus is saying, blessed are those that mourn over the fact that they're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you need God and it starts to do something to you on the inside. It breaks your heart. I realize my sin affects people around me and my sin hurts God. Third box, blessed are the meek. I think often when we hear that word, for me, I hear the word meek and I think of a Barney Fife kind of guy, right? Okay, that's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, that's not what meek means. Meek means that we come under the conviction that God cares for me. He's not going to hurt me. So there's poverty in spirit. I need God. Those who mourn, I mourn when I hurt God. The meek, he's not going to hurt me. He cares for me. I can give up control. I can totally trust him. Now, this is countercultural teaching. This is not what the culture around us teaches. It's all about self-help. But Jesus says, no, you can turn over the controls to God because he cares for you. Here's the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those first three boxes, we have this relationship with God. We, we know we're utterly dependent on him. We mourn when we sin. We come to really trust God. And what happens? Our appetite begins to change. We hunger and thirst after the ways of God. You no longer hunger over things like popularity. 
You're not really that hungry anymore over prestige or power or materialism. You're not hungry for achievement. No, you're hungry for the things of God. Because those other things, they never fully satisfy. But the things of God, they really satisfy. And we talked about that hunger, that we hunger to be right with God. We hunger to be more like Jesus. And we hunger to see others hungry. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, when we considered this one, we said that the fruit or the evidence of the gospel in our life is a life of mercy. And when Justin spoke on that, he used as an illustration the story of the Good Samaritan. We looked at that story and we realized that the Samaritan had this spiritual awareness. He saw the man in need. But he didn't stop there. He had a divine compassion for him, so much so that it moved him to action. He had a bias for action. That's what mercy looks like. You guys doing okay? You remembering all this? Okay. All right. What came next then? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is just a few weeks ago. Remember what Justin shared? He said, a pure heart is to will one thing, and that one thing is to please God. It's an undivided heart. And we discovered that an undivided heart gets God's undivided attention. And as we talked about where a pure heart comes from, we saw that it comes from gospel approval. That we understand and believe what the Bible says about me, what the gospel says, and it comes with gospel responsibility. Last week, we looked at peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peace, this idea of the shalom of God, the peace of God. Last week, we discovered everything that God created was made to work in harmony together. Harmony, peace, that's this idea of shalom. Now, unfortunately, when sin entered the world, it created war with God, it created war with ourselves, and it created war with other people. Jesus came to give us his peace, his his shalom. And when we receive him in our life, we have peace with God. We have peace with ourselves, and we're called to have peace with others. Our breath prayer last week was, today I will live peace and I will give peace. Okay, we're getting way up here. Peacemakers, why do you think that one's so far up there? It requires some spiritual maturity, doesn't it? I mean, think about what it takes to do this. This is the person slow to speak, quick to listen. This is a person that has a gentle spirit. The fruit of the spirit is very abundant in their life. They just walk into a room and it changes. My wife's like that. I'm going to embarrass her for a minute. She's awesome. I want to be like her. She has this giggle. She giggles her way through life. Uh, She has this contagious smile. She's rarely grumpy. She's a peacemaker. She walks into a room, and if there's something going on, sarcastic or negative, the, the whole climate changes. People stop. She's that kind of person. Now, the truth is, there's two types of people. There's people who are a thermometer and people that are a thermostat. What's a thermometer do? It adjusts to the climate of the room. What does a thermostat do? It sets the climate of the room. Jesus is saying, blessed are the thermostats. Blessed are the ones that when they walk into a room, the climate shifts. They're so full of God that they change the environment around them. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then we arrive at verse 10. Blessed are the persecuted. When you live the first seven, you can't help but experience number eight. It's guaranteed. 
I mean, just consider the last two that we talked about, purity and peacemaking. When you're pure in heart, when you will one thing, and that's to please God, and you're a peacemaker, you're a thermostat, you set the climate in a room, that's explosive, isn't it? My background is in chemistry. I'm a pharmacist. And there are certain chemicals, when you combine them, apply a little bit of heat, there's a dramatic reaction. They explode. And that's what it's like when we come into a situation carrying a pure heart, living as a peacemaker, we're persecuted. Now, I think it's important we notice what it does not say. It does not say blessed are those who are persecuted because they're fanatics. Or blessed are those who are, uh, blessed are, those who are persecuted because they're rude. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say because they're self-righteous or that they've got a cause. Jesus says, do what we do with gentleness. Okay, when we're persecuted for those kind of reasons, we're not a martyr, we're just a jerk. We are. It says, because of righteousness, living like this for living like Jesus. That's, that's what we look like. Now, I want to just be very practical with what you do with all this. When you feel persecuted for your faith because you love Jesus and others don't, there's three things I want you to remember. You can jot these down. Three things. The first one is that opposition can make me more like Jesus. Opposition can make me more like Jesus. It makes me more like Jesus because Jesus experienced opposition. John 15, 18 to 19 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, now follow me on this. If I'm going to grow and I'm going to be like Jesus, and God wants that for you, God wants you to become like him in the way you think and act and feel, then you're going to have to go through everything that Jesus went through. Were there times that Jesus was lonely? Yes. Were there times when he was discouraged? Yes. Were there times Jesus was fatigued and worn out? Yes. Were there times he was tempted? Yes. Were there times he was criticized, lied about? Yes. Opposition makes me more like Jesus. The second one to write down is this. Opposition will deepen my faith. Opposition will deepen my faith. It's how faith grows. Same way you grow a muscle. A muscle is not grown by sitting in a chair and eating popcorn. No, you know this. A muscle is grown by stretching it, by straining it, by testing it. You know this is true. When you want to grow a muscle, you've got to strain and stretch and pressure it, have weight pushing against it. And in the same way, opposition deepens your faith. You never really know how much you've internalized this truth of Scripture till somebody pushes back, till somebody opposes you. Some of the strongest believers I know, they are under huge opposition, major pushback. 1 Peter 1.7 says, These have come, he's talking about troubles, troubles have come so that, the pers- so, that the, so that they're proven as genuine of faith may result in praise, glory, honor when Christ is revealed. Your rewards are coming one day. If you can stand the heat, let opposition deepen your faith. That's what it's talking about. Let it deepen your faith. And then the third thing to remember, opposition will give me eternal rewards. I'm going to read the eighth beatitude again, but I want to go all the way down through verse 12. Opposition will give me eternal rewards. 
It starts off by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He says, I'm going to bless those who are persecuted because they live for God. Theirs is the kingdom, and you're going to be rewarded in the kingdom of heaven for living like Jesus. It's a good thing to remember, eternal rewards. Okay, the most practical piece I want to give you today. What am I supposed to do in the face of opposition, in the face of harassment and persecution? Here's what you do. Five things to write down, going to go really fast. Number one, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. You shouldn't expect the world to support your decision to follow Jesus. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange was happening to you. Another part of scripture, Jesus says, In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Second thing to do when you face persecution, number two, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How do I get rid of the fear of persecution? How do I get rid of the fear of disapproval? How do I get rid of the fear of being rejected? You need to be filled with God's love because perfect love casts out all fear. You focus on God's love for you. Healthy people aren't afraid of rejection. Healthy people aren't afraid of disapproval. Healthy people know they're loved by God. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. It says don't fear, revere Christ as Lord. He's saying don't worry, worship. Keep your focus where it belongs. The Bible says when Stephen was stoned to death, he was the first martyr in the church. It says when he was being stoned to death, he looked up into heaven. He worshiped. He chose not to worry. Don't be afraid. Number three, don't be ashamed. You should never, ever be embarrassed for standing for truth. Don't be embarrassed for what's doing what's right. 1 Peter 4.16 says, It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Now I want you to write a sentence down, and if you get this, it'll liberate your life. Write this down. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. If you learn this, if you don't get anything else out of the message but this, this can change your life. Because otherwise you're living life for what other people think rather than God, what God made you to be. And you can't be who God made you to be if you're always worried about pleasing other people. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. No matter what you choose to do in life, somebody's going to not like it. It's just the way it is. So you may as well do the things God likes rather than the things people like because it's not going to matter in eternity. If you're going to suffer, you might as well suffer for doing the right thing rather than doing the wrong thing. That's just logical. Don't be ashamed. Here's the fourth thing. Number four, refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. You are most like Jesus when you don't strike back at someone who's hurt you. You're most like Jesus when you don't attack someone who's attacked you with an insult, a threat, gossip, whatever it is. 
You can't control what other people do, but you can control your own reaction. Your reaction is your responsibility. Have you ever found yourself saying, you make me so mad? Okay, when we say that, you, we've just admitted who's in control. If I gave you a million dollars to not get mad, don't get mad for a month and I'll give you a million bucks, you'd go the whole time. You wouldn't get mad, right? Okay, you wouldn't do it. We don't lack the ability, we lack the incentive. <laughs> you have the power inside you. You have the Holy Spirit to control that emotion. And the Bible says you have the incentive. Listen to 1 Peter 4.19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Commit yourself to your faithful creator. That's your incentive. Continue to do good. Refuse to retaliate. And number five, <clears throat> respond with a blessing. What? Yes. Return good for evil. Come in the opposite spirit. You not only refuse to retaliate, a lot of people can do that. The Bible says if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you actually do good to those who do bad to you. You bless those who hurt you. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You don't make the world any brighter by blowing out everyone else's candle. You're to be a light for Jesus, and you're not to retaliate. You're to bless any fool can fight back. Any wimp can retaliate. Anyone can say something mean back. The verse says, overcome evil with good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And if they slap you on one cheek, turn the other to them. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. Only by being filled with the love of God constantly can we do this. But it can be the most powerful form of witnessing. When you do this and you overcome evil with good. I think in our country we've seen some examples of that recently. When, when protest is done in a peaceful, nonviolent fashion, it opens conversation. But when protest is done in a violent way, it just widens the divide. Now here's the amazing thing. If you begin to do these five things at work or school or with somebody who doesn't like you, number one, God will be pleased. God's going to smile. He's going to say, that's my boy. That's my girl. God will be pleased with that. And second, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy because you're living like Jesus. And here's the interesting thing to me. Some of those public attackers will become private seekers. I know this from experience. Some of those same people who attack you will come back if you'll react this way. They'll come back and say, what's up with you? I didn't expect that kind of reaction. I, I don't understand that. Tell me what, what it is. There's really two reactions you can expect if you live like Jesus. One is persecution, and sometimes the other one is conversion. That's what we need to be focused on. Some people will be drawn to Jesus by the way you live and the way you love. If you think of Scripture, I want to remind you that the worst persecutor of the church became the greatest apostle, the apostle Paul. And Nicodemus, who was part of the Pharisees, who were trying to put Jesus up on the cross, later he comes to Jesus at night and he says, tell me about this born-again thing. Some people will come around. The Beatitudes, blessed, happy, are those who live like Jesus. Each week we've had a breath prayer. I want to give you the breath prayer for this week. 
Jesus, I stand in your reputation. Help me to see you. Jesus, I stand here in your reputation. Help me to see you. The story I started with, the the guy stood there with Thousand Island dressing dripping from his forehead, off his chin, all over his suit that was ruined by someone's stupid mistake. Another guy stood there one day, a couple thousand years ago, blood running down his face, his forehead, chin, all over his robe. It wasn't ruined by accident. It was on purpose. And he paid the price for our stupid mistakes. Why would he do that? Because Jesus was different. And he calls us to be different too. Jesus, I stand in your reputation. Help me to see you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the glorious sermon Jesus preached that day on the mountain. Thank you for affording us the only way to true happiness. Father, strengthen us in the face of persecution that we can live like Jesus, that we can be a witness for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to point something out to you before we sing a song together. When we went through the Beatitudes, did you notice that they begin and end with the same promise? Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over and above all the other blessings we receive, the greatest blessing is that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So as we stand together now, that's what I want us to carry in our hearts. Let's worship the one who made a way for us to be citizens of heaven. Let's stand. Let's worship.